simplicity and ease is what you get when you host your podcast with Audio Boom. You can post up to five episodes per month, you get unlimited storage, and 500 minutes of recording time for each episode. Plus, advanced analytics, embeddable players, distribution of your podcast via Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Sovin, Spotify, and Stitcher. Pending approval by each platform. Right now, you can sign up for Audioboom's $9.99 monthly subscription plan and get your first month free by using promo code BOOM. That's B-O-O-M for one month free of hosting and distribution. Sign up for our $9.99 monthly subscription plan today. This is the MLW Radio Network. Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by SeatGeek. Don't miss that next great live event, and you can make it happen with SeatGeek. Stay tuned, and I'll tell you how you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Sean Mooney, coming off another great week. An episode with WWE Hall of Famer Hillbilly Jim, also known as Jim Morris. Uh, he had some great stories, especially when he's talking about that first big run with uh, Hulk Hogan and that really uh, debilitating injury he had that slowed his career down early on. And then the expansion of the Hillbilly family, including Uncle Elmer and all the rest. Uh, it is a uh, great episode, and I always love the chance to speak with Hillbilly Jim. I hope you'll check it out. Also, we got another great episode coming up. The guy who's got to be, I'm telling you, one of the most determined professional wrestlers ever. Carl Ouellette. You may remember him as one of the Quebecers. Well, wait until you hear his story and the path he traveled to get into the ring and uh, find success. And he found great success, uh, that's for sure. We're going to get to that conversation in just a couple of minutes with Carl Ouellette or Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Or, of course, as the Quebecer along with Jacques Rougeau. But that uh, conversation is on the way. But first, I want to tell my listeners all about getting those great seats to live events. Now, buying tickets, of course, can be a very complicated and confusing process. But there is a better way to buy those tickets. And you can do it with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the absolute smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with some friends, or you uh, need to find that perfect gift. Well, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the absolute best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person. And I'll tell you, you know, I have the app on my phone. And one thing I love about this app with SeatGeek, you know, you bring it up and right there, it shows you all the local events that are going on in your area. You know, the immediate part of wherever your city is or your town. And then, uh, you know, you'll scroll down and it'll show you some of the bigger shows. Say it's some of the, you know, bigger cities nearby or even a national show that you want to catch, like uh, something with the WWE. Well, SeatGeek can make that happen for you. Now, uh, SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that are going to fit your budget. Plus, every purchase, as I mentioned, uh, is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with total confidence. Now, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports to concerts to comedy and theater. And uh, I mean that, folks. You really got to check this out. I've heard from a few people who have 
uh, taken advantage of this great deal I'm going to tell you about um, and have gotten great seats. And they've gotten on Twitter to thank me for it. So best of all uh, is that all my listeners are going to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app, uh, whatever your platform is, download the app, and then enter the promo code PRIMETIME. Okay, that's promo code PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And don't miss that next great live event you want to see. You can make it happen with SeatGeek. All righty. So as I mentioned, we have a, another a tremendous guest that is joining us here on Prime Time with Sean Mooney. So what do you say we get to it? Ding, ding, ding. Now, I never had the chance uh, much to work with my guests this week. Uh, we did a few things together, but I was, uh, I was heading out just as he was coming into the, the WWF at the time. Um, and folks, you know, most wrestlers are, are journeymen. Uh, if you last in this business a long time, you work in rings all over the world. But I think my guest, three-time WWE tag team champion, Carl Wallet or PCO or Pierre Wallet, uh, however you want to uh, recall him as, uh, has got to be a member of the Million Mile Plus Club, uh, covering the globe many, many cool. times during his career. And uh, uh, PCO, I want to thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I'm very good, Sean. Uh, actually, I'm. Uh, it's. Uh, it's. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun, and uh, I'm very, very, uh, very well. Actually, you know, uh, just coming came out from uh, another uh, weekend of wrestling, and uh, I'm pretty active, and uh, pretty happy about what what's uh, everything that's going on in my life right now. So uh, yeah. it's a good time for me to have uh, this conversation uh, with you. Yeah, well, I hope you don't mind when I if when I tell people you're. I think you're you're 50 now, but yeah, uh, but uh, actually they they made a big thing out of it after my uh, big match against Walter in New Orleans. Uh, my age came out and uh, <laughs> became kind of a an attraction because what I'm doing at my age. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing I wanted to add. Over. Yeah, but I really want to ask you because uh, you were one of the people, I think, maybe early on that realized uh, what it meant to take care of your body in a lot of ways. And, and uh, what do you think, what is it that you did, you think, during that time that has allowed you to, you know, still be in such great shape at 50? Um, what what makes the difference? I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to, to be doing it while you're on the road, but as soon as you have some days off from the from the wrestling uh, itinerary, it's, uh, you know, I go to bed early, uh, eat well, uh, train hard, uh, train in a way where uh, uh, I don't uh, crush my bones that much. Uh, I mean, the joints, especially the joints, and uh, it's, a, it's a unique way of training. Basically, I met the, per the perfect uh, personal trainer uh, who became kind of my manager, if you want, uh, on, uh, I've been doing a few, uh, promos, video promo, uh, wrestling promos, uh -huh. and, uh, we've been doing some crazy stuff together. And this guy, uh, his name is the destroyer because he's, he's got the, uh, strength, uh, strongest hands in the world. Uh, that's, that's a shoot. That's a fact. Nobody can do what he can do with his hands and his forearms. And, uh, the way, uh, when we met and the way he trains me, um, that made the, all the difference in the world. So yeah. that, that totally changed my approach and, uh, 
totally changed my uh, my training from uh, bench pressing 500 pounds, uh, doing other things that uh, keeps me uh, as, as well uh, cardiovascularity uh, as well as the, as pure strength, and I don't have to damage as much my elbows, my shoulders, uh, uh, things like that, my knees, and. Um, it, uh, it's, it's very good because, uh, of course, another aspect of the game, I have to do gymnastics. Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to put a little bit of pressure on my knees, but it's not if I can avoid it from the, the workout itself in the gym, I can train my uh, my legs or and my, uh, my other muscles uh, without uh, really hurting my, my joints. I uh, will uh, will do that because every day working out every day, it makes a big difference at the end. So you're still uh, you just you you're still benching 500 pounds. At your... I could, but uh, I don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, are you working out? The point is, are you working out as hard as you ever did, even at this age, or have you taken I it think, back? Uh, <laughs> what I what I've been doing lately, I mean, in the last probably 10 years, yeah. it's avoiding every party, avoiding every. Uh, all alcohol, uh, sodas, uh, eating well, a bunch of things. And yeah. um, I, I, many times I would say that to, to people. When I was, let's say, between 25 and 30, sometimes, you know, you, you become a, a big, huge star. Uh, it happens quick, overnight almost. Uh, you don't You don't really know what... Uh, to do with your money because uh, suddenly you have a bunch, you know, a lot of money, right. and then uh, you have uh, all kind of people around you that, uh, hey, can I borrow you five thousand dollars? Can I borrow you a few ten thousand dollars? I would like to start my business. I'd like. We've been friends for a long time. It puts all kind of pressures that you you don't think that you will have to be dealing with when 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 you don't make it in a big time. But when, once you're there, you're dealing with other aspects of life that you're not used to deal with. And uh, certainly, you know, having nice girls around you, having the chance to uh, uh, maybe go and uh, have a couple drinks out. And sometimes the, the workout the next day is not as good as it should be. Yeah. I don't take anything away from my, my career in the past because I think I did what I, I had to do. But... If I compare with today, it's 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 a total, total different life, you know. Today, oh, absolutely. I, I, I won't go. No, um, uh, many times, you know, after a show, the boys will ask me if we want to go for a bite to eat. I'll go because I don't want to separate myself from the boys, and I don't I don't want to say um, that the boys are not doing the right thing. But uh, if I go out with them, I'm gonna eat something really uh, like some fish or something really. You know, light, and uh, I'm gonna drink water, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my room. I'm not gonna go party and stay uh, up all night long and get drunk. That, uh, yeah, that is over with. Yeah, we we've talked to uh, I've talked to uh, you know many of the superstars that were a part of that era, the '80s and '90s, and it really was. I mean, they were rock stars. You guys were rock stars, and that was and the lifestyle that went with it. Uh, at that time, were you able to resist a lot of that? Because I had a conversation with Jacques uh, Rougeau, and uh, he tells a story about uh, uh, him and Raymond in a in a car going to a show. And this is the time when you know everybody was starting to experiment with the PEDs and and doing you know a lot of these supplements because it was making a difference in their performance. 
And they they actually contemplated, you know, possibly doing it. And Raymond's the one who said, you know what, I'm we're not I'm I'm not doing that, and I don't think we should do it because I don't we don't know what they're going to do to your body. Uh, were you able to resist that, or did you experiment back at that in that period of time when everybody else was oh, doing I, it? And I, didn't I, really I, know. Did exper- I did experiment uh, a few things. I uh, I resist uh, while I was with Jacques when we were the Quebecers. I had to say that. Uh, uh, Jacques didn't want to hang out with the boys at all, so we're yeah. uh, it was tough for me because I didn't think uh, for myself. I listened to him because uh, he was older than me, and he kind of uh, I was kind of under his wing, if you want, and I didn't want to yeah. uh, have any uh, arguments or uh, that, that the chemistry wouldn't be there because uh, I wouldn't show all. Um, serious I am about the business so basically for uh, a year and a half I pretty much listened to everything that he wanted me to do and um, when he left and then I became uh, the pirate after that yeah. uh, it felt good uh, that I was on my own but uh, in the meantime I felt like I probably didn't receive the good advices that I, I should have had received uh, some were good, some were so so. I had to make my own experience and and uh, put my foot in the water and really feel the water myself, and gain the experience by myself. Uh, that now uh, I know what I I should have done or what I should do, what I could do, what I could. Uh, you know, uh, I, I have a, a perfect uh, sense of. Uh, what the business is all about and what you have to do in the business to make it into this business and what uh, you can't do. And, uh, but obviously we all human beings and error, you know, errors will always be made, but uh, there's ways uh, to, uh, to work it out where it's not such a, a mess, you know, when, when you make them, you know, there's always place for redemption, sort of, yeah. you know. So, but at uh, that time, at that time, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the superstars, everybody was doing uh, a majority of them anywhere were were experimenting, and, and a lot of them were heavily into it. Uh, did you just not because uh, you were with Jacques, and of course that wasn't something he was doing, or did you make a decision that you know you were a little afraid of these things too? Yeah, I, I, I never was into drugs. Uh, uh, I knew about steroids, uh, so so that the fact of the steroids, it's another deal. It's another thing apart, you know. But for me, the the most uh, common thing in wrestling that was uh, very bad for wrestlers was, uh, you know, you remember how many days on the road we were? Oh, like, man, yeah. 33, 34, yeah. 35 days on the road, three days yeah. off. So guys get, gets banged up and then they go with a painkiller or muscle relaxer, and even after that, when they they're not banged up, uh, they get used to the drugs, and that's where it all becomes a big problem. It becomes uh-huh. uh, an addiction. And uh, myself, I never had any uh, real big issue with that. But at one point, uh, I was in Germany. I think it was in '97. Uh, 98 or 97 mm-hmm. uh, I was in Germany and uh, some of the guys were really hooked on the, uh, muscle uh, relaxant uh, and um, somas and things like that 
and I, I you know, you, you just, it's, it's like, you know, you, you just want to try to, you know, to be with the boys and, well, let's try this with the boys and, and then you do another day, another day, another day. So it was a rough time for me there, you know, like, uh, yeah. that was probably my worst time, uh, that I tried some of the being on painkillers or somas or, or things like that. And, um, after that, uh, kind of did some times with that and then realized that it was not good for me. And then I just totally, uh, totally took myself out of it. I totally yeah. became, uh, not that I was really addicted to it, but just the, sometimes I fell asleep in bars, uh, because, uh, I took too many and things like that made me realize how stupid made me look how, how stupid for for the fans that you know they cheer for us they like us and then they see us like that it's hard for them to to see uh you know the the people that you're supposed to be a role model you're supposed to be a person that they look up for and and things like that in the meantime you're leaving you live your um when I was 14 years old, 14 years old, I had a dream in this business, and that dream, you know, brought me all the way to those years, to the WWE Tag Team Championship, to mm -hmm. the uh, yeah, eight months being undefeated as a as a pirate, and and to all that. But when you have uh, step backs, or when you're you've been uh, get let go, uh, you know, we they don't want to. They fired you and things like that, and you end up with another smaller promotion in Germany or anywhere else. It's a step back. It's a, it's not a depression, but it's depressive to live that because you have a goal and your and your your goals go is getting away from you, yeah. and then those things can happen in front of you, and you think it's going to be fun to party to do that, and and those things they even bring you uh, even further from your goal, but you don't realize it at first. Yeah. So you have to be really, really, really strong mentally and stay focused on your goal. Yeah. And uh, that's the reason why I'm there today. And why well, I'm and there it, today. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, BCO, uh, you know, they say you have to have thick skin in this business, but uh, you look at your career, you must have had uh, your skin, your skin must have been leather wrapped around that, uh, the bones and muscle. Because, I mean, really, I tell you, you look at, uh, and I want to, I want to back up here because we're certainly going to go through your career and what do you experience when success finally came. But your journey is unbelievable. And you mentioned at 14, you had this uh, dream to get into professional wrestling. But I know before that, uh, you were quite an athlete, and hockey was your, uh, I don't know if it was it, but you were quite a hockey player. Was that uh, yeah. something else that you really pursued and said, uh, you know, because you were very good at it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hockey was my, was my first goal, but when I lost uh, my right eye because I got shot with a pellet gun at the age of 12, yeah, that was just you guys out messing around. You were, I, I think. Yeah, you, I play cowboys and Indians, yeah, making yeah. two teams. Like you know, just 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 having fun, shooting in our legs, and uh, you know, so it was pinching and it was painful a little bit. And we we're just, you know, just being uh, kids, you know, uh, kids being kids and being a little bit stupid and not realizing the risk and what what was going on. 
and uh, I was hiding behind the counter in, uh, in my kitchen, and uh, I, I just got hit uh, because the guy was aiming for my knee since I was on my knees, uh, so he hit me right in the eye, and. Um, he was so, trying to shoot uh, you in the knee and shot you in the eye. You guys, were yeah, playing because with- I was on, I was on my knees hiding behind the uh, the counters, so I wanted to, uh, you know, take him by surprise. And uh, he, he he turned before I turned, and then he got me. And uh, you know, oh. I lost a friend too because uh, even though uh, we were like so young, uh, the family moved away from from our town where we lived, and I never saw that guy anymore, which was one of my best friends. So, Because of the of, incident, uh, he moved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The family oh. totally moved. Uh, we were in Montreal. They, they went to Ottawa. I never saw that guy again after that. He totally uh, disappeared from my life. And uh tried to call them a few times, tell them that wasn't... Uh, any hard feeling about it or anything like that. In fact, I, w- I wish he, he would have stayed my friend, and uh, but it was too hard for him to uh, yeah. to live with that, and it probably had an effect on all his life. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was drinking alcohol or don't know. I, I really, I couldn't follow up with him. I was hearing stories a little bit by friends to friends to friends, but uh, um, right there it was my first, uh, my first. A really big uh, thing about you know adversity right yeah. at the age. You know, I had to, uh, to to tell my parents, don't worry, I'm gonna be okay, because everybody was like so shocked. You know, my grandparents, my parents, my friends, and uh, I was the one who was uh, staying pretty cool about it and saying, huh. no, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna be stronger. I'm gonna go over this. I'm gonna make something out of my life. Uh, you know, I even I even thought I could continue to play hockey with one eye, but um, uh, Carl Sutterberg today uh, with the Colorado Avalanche, you can play with one eye because the rules have changed in the NHL. But uh, at the time, you needed to have a division of 70% at least vision from each eye to be able to play in the NHL. So... Uh, and I, and every time that I was going to in a hockey uh, practicing hockey at 6 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. I would look at, at the TV and when I would get up, uh, I would get up for for uh, hockey practice and, and was wrestling on. And, uh, <laughs> wrestling was really big for me, you know. Like uh, I really like everything about wrestling, so I started to ask my dad, you know, can we go to there uh, to a wrestling show? Can we go see uh, the Road Warriors? Can we go see? Uh, uh, Rick Flair, Rick Martel, Dino Bravo, uh, mm-hmm. even the Rujos, they, they were before my time. I was just a kid and I was watching them. So, um, but then uh, what's funny about it is eventually when I made it to the WWE, uh, all the arenas that we were doing, they were the same arenas that the hockey was doing them. So, <laughs> you know, we went to the Philadelphia Spectrum, to the New York Madison Square Garden, to the NASA Coliseum, to all those arenas, the, the Chicago Stadium, all the names that changed today, they all have sponsored and the new buildings, but it was the same life as a hockey player. and. And I made a lot of friends, you know, from from wrestling to hockey. So I met a lot of people. We became friends. It was basically the same life almost. And um, my I, I had a, 
I wrote down things at 14 years old that I wanted to accomplish, and uh, um, they were really, really uh, tangible for me, and they were really real for me. And uh, when uh, when I made it to the WWE, then I knew I was on my way to to accomplish what I had envisioned when I was younger. And, yeah, but uh, Carl, you weren't like uh, you weren't like just the a local kid playing hockey. I mean, you had you were a gifted hockey player. You were playing on all star teams, weren't you at that age? And, and touring and yeah, I did uh, because so, I mean, I you were wrestling yeah. professional wrestling. I went for a tour. I had a lot of rough time in wrestling. I really paid my dues. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I'm I saying started well, wrestling yeah, at the at, 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 at hockey though. I mean, you, hockey could have been yeah. if if you hadn't injured your eye. Could have been. I could have I could, been. I could have been an NHL hockey player. Oh, I could have yeah. been, because uh, because what happened is I, I was playing hockey uh, high caliber, and then uh, I started wrestling at the age of 16. So I was doing both, okay. and then uh, where I was getting, I get trained. Uh, we used to wrestle every Sunday afternoon, so I had my hockey time too during the week and on weekends. But my Sundays afternoon and my Tuesday night, they were all for wrestling. And then um, I was asking the promoter where I was wrestling, you know, how can I get on the road, you know, and how can I get booked and work full time? And he was saying, no, not yet, not yet. But at the age of 18, I flew myself to Calgary and went to meet with Brett, uh, Brett Stewart. Yeah. And then... Um, uh, didn't speak much English at the time, so I was just trying to get booked, and uh, they would uh, would put rib, ribs on me, you know, like, uh, we don't have any place for you tonight in Calgary, but uh, maybe next Saturday in Edmonton. So I would take the Greyhound bus and go back to uh, Edmonton. I was hoping for uh, someone not to show and uh, hoping to get a chance to have a wrestling match. And then uh, it was they were just ribbing me for three months like that. I was going back and forth with my buses, and I was uh, living with the Salvation Army. We're like five or six kids in the same uh, kind of apartment, real cheap. I had to collect money on Sunday morning for the Salvation Army on the corners of the streets and sell things. And it was really a tough time. Right. And, how old are you at this point? Are you, are you 16 or how old 18. are you? You're 18. 18. Yeah, before I talk about wrestling at sixteen and I was eighteen. Yeah, before we talk about Calgary. Yeah, but before we talk about the Hearts, uh, and and they, I mean, they did they did not uh, welcome you uh, very warmly. But I wanted to know how uh, because we were talking about the hockey and that transition into wrestling. When you uh, lost that vision, I think it's ninety percent of the vision in that eye. Yes, exactly, uh, exactly. Perception changed. Like where was it? Did you just uh, adjust or? Did it make yeah. make it very difficult to play hockey? And then even how did that affect wrestling? Because you have to be able to see objects coming at you, and if you don't have that perception, yeah. Yeah. how did it? How did it, it yeah, it was tough for since I was so young, you know, because uh, I was twelve when the accident happened, and I remember when I got out of the hospital, uh, we were playing baseball, and uh, I'm in, uh, I was at center field, I think, and I called the ball. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. The ball fell like 15, 20 feet behind <laughs> me. So I was pretty discouraged. Yeah. Uh, but it was like that for maybe a month. 
After a month, I could adjust pretty much everything. I was capable of, uh, you know, uh, making good, solid contact with the bat on the ball, uh, catching balls, and uh, you know, coming at me, uh, either if, if if I was a uh, whatever center fielder, left or right fielder, or if I played third baseman or first baseman, I, I was uh, mostly a catcher when I was playing baseball, and I had a, a harm, you know, I could throw at the second, and you know. It, you know, retires people. You know, like pinch them out and uh, you know, cut them on the uh, if they were trying to steal a base or something. Yeah, well, I had a good arm. Yeah. And um, I, I liked all sports when I was when I was a kid. But you know, wrestling always came out. But hockey was the first thing that I really liked. But wrestling was the second thing, second thing that I really liked. But since since. Uh, you know, uh, I knew that I couldn't play in the NHL. Uh, I made a point to, uh, because uh, that's it. You know, after that, I went to Calgary at 18 for wrestling. Uh, after three months of trying everything, you know, I came back home. Um, I took a couple of years off. I went to play uh, college, and I played for the hockey team in college. And, huh. uh uh, from the from the hockey team from my my college where I was playing, uh, some um, people were like uh, they they draft me for the senior AAA for the Canadian Championship. For the hmm. uh, I became 20 years old, so I could play with uh, with the big guy. And um, at 20, I played the the Holland Cup, which is the Canadian Championship uh, Senior Hockey Cup, and. Uh, I did pretty well, and then uh, I got an invitation from um, from an international uh, a team from the International Hockey League, and uh, uh, then I had that invitation, and I had in the same time Rene Dupree who called me back. I sent him a package of all the clippings what? from the newspapers and things like that that uh, that I did in Montreal, and. Uh, Called, they both called me up in the same time. It was Indiana Fort Wings uh, that called me for uh, for the uh, the hockey, which was oh, the farm a, team of the Chicago Blackhawks. Blackhawks, yeah. Yeah, wow. their their farm team it was all since the coach who called me up in the morning. So it was so uh, I was wow, that's all since calling me up. You know, I was a kid too. You know, I was twenty. So, yeah. Uh, I told them that uh, thank you for the invitation, but uh, I'm going to go to the New Brunswick and uh, uh, wrestle every day, seven <laughs> days a week there. What made so, you decide uh, to do that, Carl? Because uh, and I want to back up a little bit because you kind of cruised by that uh, that time you spent trying to get in with um, the Hearts with Stu Hart and the you know Stampede. They, I, I maybe was it did they think you were just too young or were they just messing with you because they treated you. It sounds to me like, I mean, pretty shitty. I mean, that, I don't know. I hope that that relationship changed. But you, you, like you mentioned, and, and uh, I'm sure people caught it here, but you would, you know, you went there hoping to be trained by them. And they messed with you and said, nah, you, go to Edmonton. I think Bruce uh, Hart ran that. Yeah, that, yeah Bruce they, uh, wanted to, to just have to show up. Yeah, and then, all right, okay. Yeah, Bruce, uh, Bruce called me eventually, you know, 
since I was there every you know all the time asking for you know a chance to wrestle, a chance to have a match, a chance to something, and I remember like uh, uh, Chris Benoit was on the regular roster, Owen Hart was on the yeah. regular roster. Uh, sometimes the day the, the British Bulldogs were there. They were like they weren't. I don't know why Dynamite. I think just got hurt or something. So he was make, make, making a rehab and he was working for for Stampede uh, Wrestling and um, uh, some big names there uh, that, that that I saw later on in the big roster in the WWE. But the thing is that the, I was I was looking young. Uh, probably they knew I had no experience at all, and, and they wanted to make money with me. I guess Bruce wanted to make money with me. He wanted to sell me his wrestling school, but I told him, I said, I just came out of a wrestling school. Why would I take another wrestling school for $3,000 when I don't even have the guarantee that you're going to use me after your wrestling right. school? So and so you... Yeah, that was where you trained. Were you with Gerard before then? I mean, you'd already been with him? Training? Yeah, I've already been with Pat Gerard. Already yeah. did a few uh, months with Edward Carpentier. I already had like yeah. uh, maybe two, two maybe a hundred match. Maybe I've wrestled a hundred match already. I've wrestled for international wrestling. Uh, you know, I was like doing jobs or doing first matches and things like that. But yeah. I had enough, you know, enough experience to get by and and to learn by wrestling. You know, to to be in the ring and learn. Uh, even if they would use me as a jobber or anything like that, you know, I wouldn't have mind. I was just, I wanted to uh, just make my, uh, you know, do my time and learn from, from more guys, more experience. And uh, basically after three, four months of just being with the Salvation Army and couldn't really work there and right. just traveling and spending money, yeah. uh, I came back home and... Uh, uh, yeah, and then you went to school. To, yeah. yeah. But let me get this straight, though. I didn't go to school right away. I went to school after New Brunswick. Because when I went for Rene, the thing that happened with Rene is uh, Rene Dupre, uh, Emil, his dad. Uh, the thing that with uh, Emil is that um, he saw me as a big superstar at the beginning. I know from mm -hmm. the pictures that I sent. Um, I had picture taken with Dino Bravo and the uh, Gino Brito and big names, and I sent him those pictures, and he, he thought that I could be ready. So he put me straight on top on his uh, federation there. I was working with uh, uh, a guy from uh, Winnipeg, Eddie Watts, and we were going against the booker who was Bulldog Bob Brown and Masahiro Chono, uh, Masa Chono from Japan. He was young too. So they were the tag team champions. And I just got kind of, I couldn't make the roster in Calgary. Came back home for a while. Uh, Start hitting, you know, with uh, packages, you know, uh, resume, uh, New Brunswick. They called me. I go, I went there instead of going to play hockey. I went there. And then it was uh, it was a level too high for my experience working for championship matches every night, being the main event every night, when I couldn't make Calgary just you know uh, a year before. So uh, the level, the step was so high, uh, it did put a tremendous pressure on me. So that after a month or a month and a half, I got fired from them. They sent me back home. They said we don't need you anymore. But so, uh, Carl, the the um, I, I, let me get this straight though. I mean, you had uh, really tough experiences up to that point. Then you get a chance to play 
hockey, which was one of your, you know, loves in your life and play for, you know, a pretty high minor league for the Blackhawks. And you turn that down. You must have really, really, uh, first of all, believed in yourself and must have also really just loved wrestling. Is that, was that how it was? You you were just going to make it happen? Wow. Yeah. Really believed in myself. (laughs) Really believed in myself. Even after... After all that, you know, uh, that's what, you know, when you were there, like, let's say you were there in, when I was there in 93. 93, yeah. When I got there in 93, and then I got, I was I was just arriving in the company, and I became the tag team champions. The boys were pretty jealous of me because they said, he's just been here, like, for two months, and he's already a, the tag team champ. Yeah. But they don't know how much, you know, I put in before. You know, all the Calgary experience, the New Brunswick experience, the, the Pat Girard experience, the, all the tough time. And that, there were, uh, there were uh, other times that it was tough, really, really, really yeah. tough before I made it there. I mean, nothing was easy. It was a fight. You know, it was always yeah. a good big fight, you know, like uh, uh, eventually uh, after I got fired from New Brunswick, I came back home. Uh, my family had a banner say "Welcome home, champ." But yeah. you know, I knew deep down inside, deep down inside, that even though they said uh, "Welcome back, champ," you know, uh, I didn't feel like a champ at the point. I felt yeah. pretty depressed uh, at a young age too. And you have to, you know, really uh, refocus, rebuild. Uh, um, you know, regain confidence in your in yourself. Uh, work hard at what you're doing. Try to get better. Try to understand what went wrong and mm-hmm. why it went this way. And then uh, after that, uh, the next call was for uh, Europe, England, for All Star Wrestling. Yeah. And now, was that there. was that the place where it really made the difference for you? Yeah. Uh, going to Europe, I know you spent time in England, uh, Germany, even South Africa. Tell, t- tell me about those years, because it seems like it was this period of time where, I mean, you said you were confident, but where you actually started to really learn your craft, hone your skills in this. Well, after the New Brunswick, uh, the maritime, the bad experience in maritime, it became a good experience because... When uh, I was called up with uh, another tag team partner, uh, who became a friend, a guy I met, I met actually in, in the Maritimes, uh, called uh, Rick Crawford. And uh, when we decided to become a tag team, and I uh, was the one who uh, was always making the phone call and arranging the bookings and the payoff and uh, negotiating for everything. And then when I, w- I was when I told them that uh, we were going there to England for All Star mm-hmm. Wrestling. I told them now, you know, they're going to bring us on top, you know, to work with their best tag teams over there. And and now it's time to take our place. It's time to be confident. It's time to be, you know, what we are and what we know we can do. So I learned a lot from my failures, you know, like uh, it's always been like that. You know, I failed in in Calgary, failed in the Maritimes, but it was such a learning experience that when we got into England, I remember our first match, you know, right there. Everything was gained, you know. The promoter liked us. The, we were, you know, we drew big houses. When we when we first started in England, the houses weren't that good. But our gimmick worked out good. And we were really picking up confidence and picking up things and uh, making a big difference and having great matches. And then uh, 
everything started uh, fell in, uh, into place for us you know like uh, uh, then from England you know uh, South Africa wanted us uh, Germany wanted us uh, France for TV they wanted us so we uh, every every promoters wanted to use us so uh, from there it started to explode and it was like uh, some um, magazines like Pro Wrestling Illustrated that were saying like, well, okay, double trouble now, they're, they're on their way to WWE and things like that. But my partner was like maybe 5'8 at the time. It, you know, he's like, uh, I'm saying maybe, maybe with 5'7 and a half, 5'8. He wasn't that tall. And he would, also, he would always have that comment saying that uh, we need like to, uh, to be a six inches taller each. And I always said in, in my mind, in my soul, in my head, and I always repeat in my head, maybe you think that I didn't think he, I didn't say that to him, but to me, I was always when he was saying we, we need six inches taller each. Uh, I would always tell myself, maybe you, but not me, you know, uh, because I didn't want to. I didn't want to put my own uh, stop by my own thinking, by thinking small. I wanted to think big. And that's one thing, you know, when you say you cannot accomplish something or you find a reason why you cannot accomplish, it's like if I would say, well, I cannot make it because I'm 50. I cannot make it because I'm too small. I cannot make it because I, I'm too fat. I cannot make it for what, right. because, because, because. But it becomes to a point where your your brain just, just understand that you don't want to do it because you have a reason not to make it. So, and that's what happened to him. You know, he could never uh, make it to the the next level. And I'm still in touch with him, and I always uh, tell him that. He and he agrees with me. Should I? He said I should have never said that, and I should have never taught that because he said I was with Chris Jericho when when you were in WWE. Yeah. I stayed in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jericho came in. He wasn't taller than me, uh, maybe an, yeah. an inch taller than me, and he was the world champion. So he said, "You were right about that." So, but uh, after a few years there by himself, you know, he wanted to have a family, and uh, so he kind of quit the business. Yeah. But uh, me, I never uh, want to put the, my own barricades. No, I don't want to bar- bury myself by my own fault. You know, I never I will say I uh, won't be able to do that. And I heard that so many things. I was hearing Jacques Rougeau saying, because I was telling him, you know, one day I'm going to be a world, the world champion of the WWE. He said, no, you'll never be a world champion. Of the yeah, WWE. Right. Why do you say that? <laughs> because you're a French Canadian, and it was never, you know, it never happened that a French Canadian was a WWE champion. Why are you saying that? You're always, uh, you know, you, you already take yourself out of the box, you know? You can't think like that. And then, sure enough, after that, Kevin Owens came. He's a French Canadian, and he became the Universal Champion because he was open about it, you know? Yeah. He never said that. Uh, I'm too fat, or you know, I'm too this, I'm too that, or I'm a French Canadian. But uh, you know, he, so, he worked on his craft and he made it happen. Yeah, but Carl, what what kept you going? Because you 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 admit that there were really dark times. I'm sure you know after you had these setbacks that you let yourself feel it and were. Uh, but what kept you going? Like what kept you saying, okay, yeah, that sucked, but now I've got to pick myself up and just keep hammering away because. 
you know, you look at this this path, I mean, uh, that you travel, and here you're in England and you're in Germany and then South Africa. I, can't, I, I imagine the travel was brutal. And yeah. yet uh, you look at it and then it just seemed like opportunities came. So how did you keep doing that, though, that when you, you, you talk about it, that you, know, you, you, you could get, you get depressed? How did you pick yourself up? And that's a lesson for anybody listening because uh, well, you faced uh, a lot of quote unquote, uh, quote unquote, John, John Cena never give up. You know, sometimes it looks like a catchphrase, but, uh, you know, uh, there's when you have the burning desire inside of you, and I'm going to go further. I'm going to tell you what I've done to, you know, to really show how much I believed in myself. Uh-huh. I picked up uh, a good TV, uh, good TV deal. I was doing the voiceovers in French uh, with another guy, and uh, had been there for five years. And I was making a very, very good salary. Uh-huh. A lot, you know, good money. You know, not as good as WWE, but good money for doing voiceovers. Uh, once a week, you know, it was a good, you know, I could live just off that, you know, an hour a week. Imagine the salary I was making it was for a big TV station. It was the, uh, the equivalent of the sports network, but in French it was the Rizzo de Sport. Anyways, I wanted to get back in the ring. I didn't want to do the play by the caller commentator or the play by play. I wanted to, you know, continue because I had that burning desire inside of me. And, um, uh, uh, so I told my partner, you know, I'm going to go back to England because I had made contacts with them and uh, Brian Dixon in England for All-Star Wrestling was ready to uh, to get me booked and to uh, work out the deal with me and, and everything. And I knew that WWE, they were going a lot in England on tour. What and, year are we uh, talking, Carl? Uh, 2008. Oh, okay, so this is not that long ago. Okay. Yeah, about 10 years ago. Yeah. So uh, I go in the office to uh, to say that I'm quitting the job, and uh, the uh, director of programmation he goes, uh, Carl, if you want, I can hold the job for you for three months. You know, I could put someone else, and if it doesn't work in England, then you can come back and have your job back. Right. And I I told him, I said, Robert, I said, you know what? If I do that, it's because I don't believe in myself. <laughs> I got to burn all my bridges in yeah. the back and yeah. go forward. Because wow. if I know that if it doesn't work there, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to work here and I'm going to sit on my salary here and on my my job here. But that's not really my dream to work here. You know, my really my real dream is burning inside me. There's, yeah. you know, there's something Still. that I want to accomplish. I want to accomplish myself, basically. I want to realize myself. Yeah. It's not about uh, the, having the love of the people. It's not about uh, missing the ring that much. It's not about anything. It's just about realizing yourself, you know, uh, your full potential. And when you write something, you made a promise to yourself. You want to... You want to keep your promise to yourself, and you want to pre- keep your promise to others. Yeah. So I said, no. I said, uh, I'm going to quit for good uh, because it's, it's going to work. So I go there, you know, I, I meet with John Laurinaitis, WWE, meet with Shawn Michaels, make peace with Shawn, everything. Everything, you know, they set up a match for me, uh, for for was for Raw and SmackDown. Had a huge idea, a big idea, big scenario written down for a big storyline, and uh, 
I, I, that thing worked out good. <laughs> after well, was Raw, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, after Raw, um, John Laurinaitis told me, said, Carl, what did you think of your match? I said, well, it was two or three things that went well. The rest didn't go the, the way I planned. And uh, I think, you know, my, my thing with uh, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the Muay Thai and the kicks and all that, I think... Probably I'm too uh, ahead of my time. I don't know. It didn't work out the way that I, I thought it would work out. I thought I would be innovative. Uh, people would buy uh, buy into it. And but just prior to my match, he said, "You know, you're going there with a gimmick that Vince ate because Vince ate the uh, UFC yeah. is yeah. his biggest." Yeah. Yeah, it's his, his biggest uh, competition right now. It's yeah. not even coming from wrestling. That's yeah. UFC. So it made me shave my Mohawk. I had like a, a, an MMA, MMA uh, cross-side Mohawk, beach blonde hair. It looked really, really cool. Uh, uh, Muay Thai shorts. And uh, it was really going to be something cool. And um, I wanna, I wanted to do this gimmick so bad. And uh, it made me shave my, 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 my head just before I, I walked mm. into the ring. So it was pretty tough because... Everything was based, you know, on that character, and after the character was gone, just before going through the curtain, you know, because no, you took it out walk, of you. My yeah. walk is part of the the look of the deal. Yeah. So it was right there. Was a slap on my, not in the face, but uh, mentally, it was tough to 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 continue in the same uh, idea when you know half of your idea has been taken away from you. So. Yeah. Uh, so at the table, at the guerrilla position, remember how it was done? Uh, everybody was there. Oh, Sean yeah. was there. Vince was there. Pat was there. John Lardis was there. Uh, there was probably 10 people out there. And uh, they were all watching, and it didn't go the way uh, I thought it would go. And uh, the guy that I was working with, uh, uh, I don't want to name him, but uh, I, don't, I don't feel like he was really... Uh, Trying to help me out. Wasn't that putting you over? No, I didn't. Uh, my thing was like, you know, I can't go to the floor, you know, for the first. I can't go. To, I can't bump, you know, for the first minute or the first two minutes, even if if it's an eight, ten minute match. Was an eight yeah. minute match, and I says I'm gonna bump at the end. And I'm putting you over, so let me get over the beginning. Let me show my gimmick and things like that. And uh, fair enough, you know, as soon as, like, uh, two, three uh, bumps at the beginning of the match, and you know, we killed it, you know, uh, everything went down. And uh, uh, so I, I spoke with John. wish I was a good friend with him because we work in Japan together. Yeah. And so John basically, uh, prior to that, 2003, I had another match in Montreal, hometown. People were chanting PCO, PCO, PCO. Where I thought I would have a job there, but he called me back two weeks after and said, uh, Stephanie and Creative, they don't have anything for you. So after I uh, quit the job, uh, the TV commentator went to work in England and met with many guys in the WWE and had my tryout in, um, in uh, Connecticut, Mugigan uh, Sun, 2008. It was July 21st. Yeah. 
And, well, let's uh, talk about no, but let's talk about the good the good years with the the WWF and and I, I met, just want to tell you the story yeah. though it was it was okay. supposed to be Morgan Sun and Philadelphia and uh, they didn't even have me in Philadelphia they said take your car and drop it off in Montreal at the airport so I drove like twenty hours by myself okay. in a, in a rental car yeah yeah. From where? Yeah, from, I dropped it off there, to, and I had someone to come and pick me up at the airport. Wow! So, so you had a lot of a lot of time to think on that ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was always thinking, you know, something good's gonna come out of that. Something good's gonna come out. Of it. it can be, you know, it, it can be like that. You know, something's gonna come out of that. And uh, basically, you know, um, a lot of people in life, you know, the whatever it's. Uh, they have a disease, they have leukemia, they have cancer, they have, uh, you know, they're probably going to 10 times uh, worse than the time that I've been through. But uh, just fighting, you know, it's something that uh, makes me feel good. And uh, if, if, if one day, uh, when I will achieve, you know, what I want to achieve, you know, uh, I think many people will be able to, uh, see theirself and to my my road, you know. Yeah. To the, 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 I'm sure, like everybody, you know, for a job, for an, anything, you know, a couple, whatever, you always have some tough time. And then when you make it, and when it goes well, and when you have, you know, you realize yourself. So that's it. You know, I just think uh, people can see uh, can see me and, and see the real warrior. You know, the real yeah. fighter, the real wrestler. So. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you are you are an, an inspiration to uh, to anyone. It doesn't doesn't have to be somebody who's interested in, in professional wrestling. I mean, it's just yeah, the, yeah. the spirit, yeah. the life, life spirit in general, yeah. ever giving up. And I don't know if you if you are a believer in fate or how things happen, but uh, you going to Puerto Rico and then having Jacques Rougeau uh, work there changed your life. Yeah, it was it was it was a. Uh, it was uh, the, the 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 first uh, that was the first run. Yeah, it was the first tough time. You know, it was through uh, maybe eighty six to ninety two, ninety three, and then when when Jock was there in Puerto Rico, when was my that was my first trip in Puerto Rico because I went I went back in two thousand ten, I believe. Right. And you didn't know him prior to that, Carl? You didn't know? No, him? never, never, yeah. never, never. I met him there, you know, uh, I, uh, I always wanted to go to Puerto Rico because I always, uh, watched a report on pro wrestling illustrated and I knew the, the Rougeau, they were going there sometimes on weekends and I just had the feeling, you know, I got feeling that, uh, the Rougeau could be there and I would be there in the same time. I almost like dream about that. And, uh, <laughs> and I almost, uh, I told my dad, I'm sure one day I'll be in Puerto Rico if I good book, uh, get booked there, and uh, I'll probably meet the Rougeaus. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, you know, I didn't even know that he was arrived on the island. You know, I was sitting going to a show, and and the door opened, and uh, he started saying to everybody hello, and uh, and because uh, his mom used to go six months a year in uh, Mexico, so he was speaking Spanish pretty good. Uh-huh. So he was saying hello to everybody in Spanish, and I went in French. Hey, Doc, how are you? And I said, Who are you? <laughs> you know, like uh-huh. how many times? You know, how much time you've been working in this business? I told him, oh, I've been uh, eight years in the business. Watch my match, 
And then uh, the next day called Vince and said, Vince has got something special here, you know. Oh, really? He was impressed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I couldn't believe, you know, that Vince would pick up the phone like that, you know, like uh, through the secretary, through Vince's secretary, yeah. straight to Vince. And Jacques had many conversations straight up with Vince, you know, picking up the phone. I want to talk to Vince, and Vince would just pick up the phone. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw four or five conversations between Jacques and Vince. But uh, good ones and bad ones. But that's, that was a good one, he said, you know. So eventually, uh, the next day, Sergeant Slaughter called me, uh, asked me to send him an eight-minute tape. Uh, so I had a tape already. I was already prepared. I was, you know, ready. I knew uh, what I uh, you know, just in case uh, something would happen. You know, I was always carrying, like, six or th- five or six tapes of me, you know, uh, yeah. So, sent an eight-minute tapes, and uh, was already put together. I didn't have to work over there on it. I already added my bags, and uh, called me up for tryouts. I worked two nights in a row against Jim Powers. Very basic match, nothing special. Jim didn't want to do much. Yeah. It was always power slam, uh, jump in the corner, clothesline from the second row. Basic match, but you know, crowd was into it and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, four or five months after, got a call from Jacques. Uh, well, they asked me to work if I wanted to work with you. So I don't know. Maybe Jacques had uh, many discussions with Pat or with Vince. So I don't know how it went and behind my back you know, and all that. Yeah. Happened, you know, I came I came back from Japan, and boom, we're starting. And then uh, you have Jacques. You know, I told Vince. He says Carl. I told Vince. Uh, I don't want to start before uh, October 5th. And me, I've been dying, you know, since Yeah, to get to the old. WWF. Yeah, yeah and he had yeah. to be Jeez, there. And dream. he's like, he's postponing our... our yeah. he, he, he's My saying, dream. no, I don't want to start before yeah. that date. I'm going crazy, insane. So finally, I convinced him at least to start doing TV taping. So we had an... Uh, we agreed, you know, on... Uh, on doing at least TV tapings. So after two or three TV tapings, now we start, you know, we, we hit the road for, uh, Jacques finally let go his thing and uh, we yeah. started on the road. And September 13, 1993, maybe we started in June, September 13, 1993. Wow. Uh, on the Raw, we became tag team champions. So uh, it, was, uh, it was something special. Yeah, I mean, what did you, uh, like you said, this was a dream of yours, but you finally get there, and then, I mean, there's tag teams that, great, great tag teams that never had the belts around their waist, and you were French-Canadians. Wow, I mean, that yeah. just doesn't happen. So, uh, yeah. you know, how did that, that come about? And, and uh, really, and, and you talk about how you, uh, you know, separated yourself from the rest of the tag teams. How did you do that? Did you consciously say to you, like, Jacques, I've got an idea to do this with these moves? Because you were doing things that, that nobody had really been doing before. Where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, we started with the move, and then uh, when we um, we heard how the, the crowd were reacting or they were popping for, for the move, they went, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. And we knew that we had the crowd hooked on our side. And then... Um, Jacques, you know, he, he was the one putting the pressure on Vince to for us to become the tag team champions. He was yeah. the one knocking on the door and 
and asking you know for for that so and then eventually uh it came through so yeah. Jacques never always believed the fact that we could beat a world tag team champion he never believed that we that I could be a, a world heavyweight champion by myself you know or right. something like that yeah. to have the main belt he didn't think it was possible for someone from from Quebec Yeah. But we also what George St. Pierre did in the UFC with a very poor uh, poor English, you know, like a very hard speaking English and uh, with a big, big, huge accent, and he he almost changed the world. So uh, to me, that was not the the key factor, you know. So, uh, but for the the tag team championship, that was really Jacques' goal. That that he really believed in that. He almost had it with Raymond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they didn't. They, they could never have it. Like so, and um, he knew that uh, we could deliver performances and we could uh, draw money as heels and things like that. So. Uh, he dealt that pretty good with Vince. I was in every meeting, so uh, it all it all went good until uh, after that. You know, it's always like that. Yeah, but you guys, you guys really were over big time, and and uh, yeah. you know, there's been tag teams that had you know major impacts. Uh, of course, the Road Warriors, uh, you know, and then of course with the uh, you know demolition, and then of course when the Road Warriors LOD. Um, and it was that, you know, they, they took that tag team competition to a different level. And then yeah. I think what was different, like with you guys, I mean, you, you had that, you know, uh, power, powerful, uh, presence in the ring, but doing these, and I don't know how you describe it the best way I just, they were just like, all the moves were connected. So it was something yeah. people really hadn't seen before because it wasn't just, you know, like tag teams go in and they do wrestling moves and then they might do something where, you know, a guy sets up another guy and they do, but you guys had like, it was like synchronized and it was, yeah. uh, it was cool to watch. And I, and people hadn't seen it before. Uh, it, was that just something that you, you know, you kind of cooked up and said, you know, I think this might work if we could do these and it and really get the audience to pop. Yeah, we had like uh, because we we were uh, Jacques was off and uh, I just yeah. came back from Japan. We had like three months with our ring set up and uh, in the backyard of the house, you know, to practice and really? guys that were doing yeah, the guys that were wrestling. So yeah. we could synchronize everything. We could uh, you know make sure that every single move was down to perfection, you yeah. know. And so when when we hit TV. Uh, we were really, really, really ready to go, and uh, impact, high impact moves, uh, really connected. Like, and it looked like we 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 killed those guys sometimes. Yeah. Boston Crab with a leg drop behind the neck, <laughs> uh, and the big tower was I was landing almost three oh, hundred uh, pounds on the other guy from ten feet in the air. Uh, uh, well, the stuff was, out of the uh, ring too was just was pretty spectacular. Yeah, Jock would backdrop me out on the <laughs> the other guy outside. Uh, there was so many things, you know, so many moves that we could do. Um, and the chemistry was good too because we had yeah. time to, you know, we were Puerto Rico together and then when when we were off, we were doing a lot of wrestling in the backyard and the, in the wrestling ring and then we would play around a golf and come back and wrestle some much and play golf and hang out together, so uh, just make sure that chemistry was going to be there, and uh, right. 
that's what made it uh, work out. And um, it's until like uh, uh, you know uh, everything started to go kind of bad because, anyways, a run cannot last forever. And um, after that, you know, Jacques wanted to go to WCW. WCW to have another run, but my old dream was always to be in WWE. So, you know, uh, well, let's go yeah, though. But what about winning that championship though for the first time in September of '93? Uh, yeah. You know, and and they on the day of a match, you don't know if you're still going to get those belts. Uh, how did that come down? How did that come together that you would face the Steiners? Uh, I think Kurt, Kurt Aang found, found out before us and uh, he came to us at a restaurant and said, you guys are becoming champion tonight. And then we, You probably uh, thought, it, thought it was a rib if it was Kurt, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. He wasn't yeah. sure at all. And then sure enough, uh, that Monday we arrived at the tapings and uh, we went into the office and they, they said that uh, we were going to get the, the belts that night. Uh, we started to... Right away, you know, that adrenaline rush was big time there. And, uh, but good excitement. We were excited, but good excited, you know, mm. excited to perform, excited to have a great match. And so it was good. And, uh, after that match, when it was over, uh, we were like, uh, we just, I remember when you did this in that match. You remember this, remember that? All night long, like, we didn't sleep at all. Like, it'll be, the whole night we were, we were awake like two kids, you know. We, yeah. we it was like winning the Stanley Cup for us. Like it was well, yeah. crazy. It was crazy. Like, uh, but the Steiners so went to a it. clean finish. No, they, they refused. So that's why was, we did the uh, Quebec rules. Yeah, right. With uh, Quebec, Quebec, Quebec rules. <laughs> yeah, you could lose by a count yeah. out or DQ or things like that. So. Uh. Yeah, I forgot about that. The province of Quebec rules. (laughs) And you remember, Scott would always say, uh, uh, how would he say that? Instead of saying the province of Quebec, he would always say, in Quebec Quebec Providence. Providence, (laughs) Quebec Providence. But still, you had the belts. And and, uh, you said you stayed up. You're like little kids. But what about after all the the shit you'd been through, like all you had done? Was there, did you really, I mean, that was more than just that night, right? Of, uh, were you thinking about everything? I mean, the, the hearts sending you back and forth on a bus, uh, yeah. the, the, the disappointments, the, you know, getting fired. Yeah. yeah. Everything, everything, you know, you, the, everything went through my mind in a flash, you know, of a, uh. a four or five seconds. I don't know. You know, it go, it all goes you become super emotional because everything there, uh, it's all there, you know, and uh, there's one thing, you know, I was 25, I was so young, but oh. I had a lot of things to go through, yeah. but uh, I could not really enjoy, I didn't know how to enjoy a moment like I, I know now, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to explain, it's like... Oh, we're all uh, like that, Carl. <laughs> what, what, what it did, basically, yeah. it's a... Probably, uh, probably without me knowing it, probably uh, bo- boosted my ego, you know, a little bit too far and too high, and uh, uh, that's the thing that uh, I think it happened. And but uh, I was uh, I was really happy about it, and 
I was uh, not that my ego like he was that bad. I don't think it was that bad, but uh, it was just that um, I, I, no, it changes your life so much. You know, you go you go from uh, being on a three uh, three uh, three room apartment to yeah. to go to a big house and change your cars and do things. You know, elevate your lifestyle a way where you don't really know that uh, money should work for you and you shouldn't work for money eventually you know that's yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that now I know that the, you know you, you it's better when you know uh, the money works for you than when you work for your money absolutely and when you make enough money you can You know, you can buy enough investment as far as, you know, can buy properties, can buy lands, can buy, uh, you know, have a website, uh, merch, merch, uh, yeah. different things, you know, that are playing. If you're smart you know, about like, it. <laughs> while you're sleeping, you're still making money yeah, right. because other yeah. people are buying or paying your house while you're, you're renting to other people and things like that. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about that, and that uh, a lot of people, you know, coming to me and asking me for borrowing money and things like that. I didn't know anything about, you know, taking guarantee uh, if I was gonna lend some money to someone that I could, you know, if you don't pay me back, uh, if I let you borrow ten dollars, ten thousand dollars, but I take uh, the, the second. Uh, uh, I, I take it you did that with a few people and didn't see it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. But, you know, I yeah. tried to help a few friends yeah. and yeah. didn't work out and things yeah. like that and started some business with friends and, and and you know, you buying cars and things like that. So uh, instead of, you know, uh, buying houses for people to rent it and things, uh, it's just that I didn't know money. You know, I didn't know what to do with money. You know, I didn't know what to do with it. You know, uh, other than, okay, well, we, need a, we need a bigger kitchen or... Uh, we need a bigger house, or we need yeah. a, a pool, or things like that. It's easy to spend, 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 but to take that money that you're making now and make that money, you know, even the bigger money, uh, more money, that's smart, you know, that's a smart right. thing yeah. to do. Yeah. So, so I learned that throughout my career, but not at the first, not yeah. at the beginning of my career. So, um, I mean, it was a great run as the, the Quebecers with uh, the WWF. W yeah, WWE. it was almost a one-year run with the Strap. But, but do you think that, run. yeah, and, and, and I'm sure you, you feel like, you know, uh, you know, you're grateful for what Jacques Rougeau did for you. But at the same yeah. time, you guys were in two completely different places in your careers. Uh, Jacques had, you know, had this tremendous run with his brother. Uh, he had been in and out of the, you know the business. He had been up and down with things, and it had it, it was at a point where he was kind of had enough with with uh, a lot of what he had dealt with. So he is uh, you know uh, enjoying the run, I'm sure, at that point. But I think a breaking point was WrestleMania 10 uh, yeah. in March of '94, which was shortly after you guys had won the you know the championship, and you'd had a you know a run with uh, the one two three kid and Marty Jannetty. But yeah. you were told you were going to have a clean win, I think, initially against Men yeah. on a Mission. And then, what, it, it changes at the last second. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It, it seemed at that point, you know, like I said, you were young, probably just, you know, grateful to be in the WWF. 
And then Jack's like, Hey, screw this. You know, I'm so what was going on in your head when all this happened? Yeah. Jacques says, you know, well, you know, the Jacques was, was uh, moaning and bitching about the fact that, uh, we didn't have like a lot for, for, for what we were bringing to the company as yeah. a tag team. We needed to have more clean, more clean one, two, three pin in the middle of the ring. Like enough of, uh, which, which was justified. I'm not, you know, like you're saying, it's not, he was absolutely right. Especially, I think this, this went on for like 10 months or something. I remember when I did the interview with him that, yeah. you know, they told yeah. him this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They said WrestleMania will be your, your biggest win ever. You know, right. you, you'll have your biggest win ever. It's going to be one, two, three in the middle of the ring. Yeah. So, and I think you guys did when, jobs in between, you know, to help put other other talent over. Yeah, we did, we did. We did. We yeah. did drop and gain back. You know, we yeah, did right. a few. Uh, we did that with. Uh, I think we dropped it on TV to uh, Marty and the kid, and we right. gained it back at the gardens on a house show. And then uh, we dropped it in Birmingham, England, to Men on a Mission and gained it back to uh, um, in London. Uh, so, we, you know, we did a few of those, and then we were supposed to have our big win at WrestleMania. Yeah. And then, uh, in the afternoon, Pat came to us and says, oh, I got good news and bad news. <laughs> so which one do you want first? Oh, you boy. Yeah. You knew all the way around it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, when you hear that, you know it's going to be too bad news, basically. <laughs> but uh, but he says uh, the good news is uh, you're going to retain your title, but the bad news is uh, you're not having your clean clean win in the middle of the ring. You know it's going to be a double count out. Yeah. So Jacques would like he was totally uh, pissed and very very mad. And he says, "Okay, we're gonna do it, but we're going to WCW. We give we, we give our notice after the match. We're, we're not coming back here." And then, then I said, "Joe, I can't, I can't do that. Really, you know, it's like yeah, I've worked all my life to get here. Right. You know, now I would have to go back to WCW. I don't know Eric Bischoff. I don't know Sullivan. I don't know. You know, I have to. You know, it took me a year just to have good meetings with Vince. You know, so." All the times build up those relationships and, you know, start all over again. I said, oh, I know, like, I mean, it took yeah, me Yeah, you're so just much. getting started. Really? Yeah, I'm getting started. I'm getting known by everybody. Everybody knows, you know, what I can do, that what I can, how I can perform in the ring and things like that. So I said, I'm not willing to to go and do this, you know. Uh, and plus, we would have to wait that for our contracts to end because we signed contracts. So maybe another four or five months to sit at home and wait before we're gonna have the chance to start back with WCW. Yeah. Right. So I refused, and then um, he says, "Okay." So he says, "Since Vince promised me my money and never gave me what I'm supposed to make every night, you know, I'm supposed to make half a million this year, and I'm, yeah. I'm not making it. I'm at three fifty right now. So I'm gonna settle with him to make it up with my money in two shows. You know, we're gonna do a split where we're gonna fill out the." the Montreal Forum, and then we're going to do the my retirement match, me against you. And right. I want 50, 50 grand. He wanted 50 grand for his retirement. Well, he got 50 grand for his retirement, actually. So, so uh, then he felt he well, was... Well, I hope you got a good payday out of that, too. 
I hope. Yeah, I got ten grand. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's okay. I should say that. The, it. Everybody loved it. It was grand. sold to me. Yeah. I was a rookie, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And he had been in the business for twenty-five years, and yeah. I had been yeah. in the business yeah. for eight years, and yeah. blah blah blah. But me, it was never about the money. You know, it's like, I like the money, but it's not what it's not what drives me. I mean, it's. it's the no, but you want to stay there too. You want to stay there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You work. But I really enjoyed that re the retirement match because it was eighteen, uh, eighteen thousand five hundred people. The yeah. Montreal Forum was sold out, and we worked in a single match on top of everybody. So we worked on top of the Undertaker and uh, Yokozuna, on top of Bret Hart and Owen Hart. On top of uh, Razor Ramon and Jeff Jarrett, on top of wow, uh, all the cards, all the names, all the names were on the cards. Yeah. All the big names were on the cards, and we were main eventing, and we stole the show too. It's yeah. not like we were main eventing and we didn't deliver. Yeah. We were main eventing and we delivered. And then uh, after the match, uh, all the boys came in the ring. They lift shocked on their shoulders, and that was supposed to be uh, a DVD. Uh, on the collection of, of, you know, it could have been on the network today, or, but uh, the, the, the all the bad blood between Vince and Jock, so the tape never got anywhere except on YouTube. Uh, the yeah. retirement match, which was yeah. like one of my greatest, uh, not my greatest, but one of my good, you know, great matches. Uh, Is it on the network yeah. now? Because it should be. Uh, I don't think they will never. I, I don't think they they will ever put it on the network. I don't think what? they will. Great match. Uh, I don't know why it was taped. It was a. It was supposed to be a Coliseum videotape back then because they had those tapes on the VCR. Uh, then it could have been a DVD, uh, but it never it never was anywhere. So I lost money on that because I could have made money with this tape. Because the undercard was. Crazy too, you know. Like I said, you had all the big matches. It was almost a WrestleMania match, uh, WrestleMania night. If you look at it, you know all the all the main angles were just underneath us. So it was uh, this, that was one of my greatest uh, accomplishments uh, yeah. in the business. So were you looking forward though to uh, a, a singles career? I, I mean, like I said, I, I know you were eternally grateful for what uh, Jacques did for you in the business and getting you to uh, the WWF, WWE. But were you yeah, looking? Yeah, I always say E because yeah. yeah, yeah, they always call it WWE. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah I was grateful, but of course uh, I wanted to be like uh, a little bit like Bret Hart, you know, going for the Intercontinental title and then going for the world title eventually. Uh, and then, then they started good, and when they, they started me, uh, it wasn't a gimmick that I was expecting to have. You know, I was I wanted to work with one eye because I wanted to use my um, what was my handicap and make it a, uh, turn it in a positive way, and you know. So what you wanted you wanted to start out as a I mean it was a Pierre Lafitte, and you wanted to yeah, start name, out as a heel. Too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vince said that. Yeah. Vince said that. You know, Vince. When when we had our meeting, he says, you know, you're gonna be Jean Pierre Lafitte, and yeah. he told me the history of the Lafitte and the New Orleans and everything that uh, was the French pirate who got there and uh, kind of built up uh, New Orleans, and he was, uh, uh, yeah, some trade, and you know, he was. Uh, yeah. 
kind of cast passed away, uh, sent away, and uh, arrested, and everything. And uh, so he wanted me to to be the better uh, grand grandson of that pirate. And and uh, he says, uh, oh, "We'll have you as a yield for two, three years, and you 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 won't come to Montreal. People will ask for you in Montreal, but." We'll never give it to them, you know. You'll you'll go, you'll wrestle all over the world except Montreal, and people want you, want you, want you, and eventually we'll give it to them. But uh, it's gonna take time before we do that. So yeah. that changed the name. Uh, that that was something that I really didn't mm-hmm. I didn't like it, but I really yeah. didn't care because uh, that makes yeah, you were was, yeah, in a single position. And to be in a push, you know, and uh, they pushed me hard for uh, eight months undefeated. And yeah, you had some uh, good matches with Brett. Uh, I, yeah, I which uh, comes really out, you know, with yeah. yeah, which comes out uh, one of the top matches. Uh, yeah. Me and Joe, me and Brett, and uh, me and Sean. But this one with with Brett is pretty special because I remember when I was working Brett and Bruce was there. It was uh, it was not. A smile like, look at me, you know, even if you said that. It was never like that. I was never uh, uh, arrogant toward uh, Bruce. And I I really think maybe he was right to believe what he believed at that time because, you know, even though I believed in myself, uh, I was pretty young and and nervous and new and he probably didn't see much throughout me. But uh, like I said, you never know how strong a person is inside, and you never know what uh, the person holds inside of a, of themselves, of himself or themselves. Because how many times that John Laurinaitis asked me who's going to be the next WWE superstar, and I said, I don't know, John. You tell me. And one yeah. time, the boogeyman that didn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, and the next time know. that he asked me, I said, I don't know, but the last time you told me it was going to be the boogeyman. What happened to the boogeyman? Right. I said, I had to get his teeth redone and it didn't work. So he said, the next big superstar is going to be Vladimir Kozlov, which never happened again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a hockey draft. You yeah, know? it's he, telling he, nobody he, ever knows. He, he, yeah, the kid's got talent, he's got everything, but yeah. the next kid that you don't think he's got talent, he's got something inside himself that's burning desire incredibly hard and yeah. puts all the efforts and he works hard, you know, he goes to bed early, he doesn't drink, he does that, he does this, you know, <laughs> he's it like all right? yeah. thinking 24-7 about his job, about what he wants to accomplish or what he wants to be, and eventually this guy is going to come out better than the superstar that they drafted at first and thought that he had everything going for himself. And mm. most of the time, those kids, when they have success everywhere and they never went through failure, the first, the first time they go through failure, they, uh, they drop the stick there and it's over because they're not used to it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing as working out in a gym. You have to go through failure to have success eventually. So mm. it's part of the deal. Well, and it wasn't like uh, you were in that that running. I mean, you were you were getting a lot of opportunities, and I think that uh, you know you were going to have a run with with Sean, as you mentioned, and uh, I think Vince asked you to to fill in with uh, when IRS went down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what got you? What got you into trouble with the Click? Because not only did that affect your career with the WWF WWE. 
but it also came back to haunt you later. So, uh, yeah. What happened? Well, uh, basically it's, uh, it's, uh, because, uh, I was, I was getting ready to start the Lafitte deal because, uh, Vince told me, you know, stay home for a couple of months, grow your hair, you know, grow your beard. Um, you know, uh, we want people to forget about the Pierre a little bit and you know, we want you to start a fresh new deal at Jean-Pierre Lafitte. So we said, uh-huh. we'll pay you, but just have some time off and uh, just be ready anytime. We'll start you soon, you know, so... It started me on March 3rd, 95, but uh, the thing is that um, in uh, November or December uh, 94, because we did the, the last match, uh, October was October 21st, me and Jock 94, me and Jock. So yeah. uh, October, November, December, January, February, almost five months off. So anyways, the uh, WWEF, they were coming back to <laughs> Montreal for a house show. Right. And uh, IRS was uh, sick or couldn't make it. I don't know what happened. Vince himself calls calls me home. You know, he called. He says, "Hey, Carl, how are you? It's Vince." I said, "Hi, Vince. How are you?" I was wondering why Vince would call me. You know, it's, it's, it sound, sounded funny. So he goes, uh, "IRS is injured. Think uh, you could take his spot? It's in Montreal." I go, "Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Okay, no problem." So, um, so I show up and uh, get to with Sean and everything. So they decide to put Sean over, which makes totally sense because he's right in the roster and yeah. just the uh, Royal Rumble and everything. Yeah. But uh, I got a call uh, from from Jacques, or I called Jacques, ask him for you know what I should do because uh, you know I'm starting. Soon, but they haven't started me yet, and now they want me to lose to Sean, uh, which at the time I thought it was a big deal. But now I know today that two weeks after, people don't even remember what happened. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, it got uh, you. Sounds like uh, looking back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you can have a good match with someone, I think people re- remember the performance more than who won and Whatever. Anyways, that was not in the Even at that story. time, Carl, the, and, and if it would have been just Shawn Michaels, you know, it probably wouldn't, wouldn't have affected your career as much. But at the time, and if, and if people recall, and, and we mentioned the click, uh, there, was a, there was a group who uh, at that time were, had, had very much say behind the curtain uh, because of who they were and, and uh, you know, their position in the company as far as on the roster. With uh, you know Kevin Nash, and then of course uh, you know Scott Hall, uh, Razor Ramon. People knew him then, and then um, Triple H uh, became part of that, yeah. and then One Two Three Kid, and they, I mean, they really did have a lot of control backstage, yeah. right? Yeah, actually, the first time that uh, that time with Sean, uh, it went pretty. It didn't hurt myself because well, I you just did the, you did the job, I, right? Yeah, I told Sean I was I did not want to do the job, and then he got pissed off. He said, I just beat 30 people in a Royal Rumble, blah, 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 you know, and started yelling at me and everything. And I said, okay, listen, Sean, I'm going to do it, okay? I'm going to do it. So forget everything I said. Sorry about that. I'm going to do it. So so we went out there. We had a great match, you know. I put him over. He, 
he was even cool. He beat me with the feet and the ropes and things like that. I didn't even ask for that. You know, he, that was that was all of him. You know, I just said, you know, I'm going to set you up on the cement floor. I'll go for my cannonball from the top rope to the cement floor. You move out. You shoot me in the ring. You pin me one, two, three. No problem. And then he said, okay, I'll pin you with my feet on the rope. So everything was cool. So I thought everything was cool. So the next year, 95, I've been... Even it was so cool that they they had me undefeated for eight months. You know, yeah. they had me going through everybody for eight months, and then I meet uh, Kevin Nash at the TV tapings, and he goes, uh, "Yeah," and uh, I think it was in November or something. He says, "In November, be new at the forum. It's gonna be Big Boo Jack Knife One Two Three," and I was insulted because. Yeah. First of all, we always we always knew the finish uh, at the building. Never, nobody knew the finish a month and a half ahead. Or yeah, taping ahead right. of a time, and and it was just a a way to me the way I took it. It was just Kevin's uh, wanted to uh, rub it into me, like you know, just to get me. Uh, well, who's running things? Yeah, and, and then making me mad, kind of, you know, just telling me, I know you're going to be jobbing for me. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I would have rather, you know, that everything would have worked nor- normally and I show up to the building and they tell me what they want and I do what they want. But just the fact that he was giving it to me like that, you know, ahead of time and just laughing about it and laughing about me uh, uh, got me worked out. Yeah. It worked, you know what what they want really worked, and I got so worked out that uh, just the fact that I couldn't see his face when he told me that, and I was uh, I show up and I see Tony Garia the night of the show when he goes, okay, we want a good twelve, thirteen, fourteen minute match. Big boot, jackknife, we'll put Big Kev over. And I go, that's exactly the same words I heard a month ago, you know. Oh, I go, no way, I don't do it. Yeah. So. Ah, youth. <laughs> so it went crazy there. Like yeah. Everybody wanted to beat me up. and Yeah. Everybody so it was just a culmination of things, and you maybe yeah. not uh, – I don't know, being as mature as you might have been in the business uh, as you look yeah. back. Because yeah, I just went like, if I if I have to put you over, uh, you're going to wrestle like uh, someone else because I'm going home with my bag. I'm quitting. Mm-hmm. And Vince didn't want me to quit. So Vince really liked me. I guess I heard his feelings a lot. I mean, I, I guess, you know, by... Because I was so close to him at that point that by doing that, I feel like uh, it was not, I didn't do it. It's not, a, it was not towards Vince. Yeah, you didn't feel like you were disrespecting him as much as you felt they were, these guys were disrespecting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like these guys were controlling the company now. Maybe not on that move, but on many moves, you know, because. I felt like Kevin had a heavyweight strap, then Sean had the intercontinental strap, then they both had the tag team strap, and they were switching the titles between the clique and the intercontinental, the world, you know, that Razor was the intercontinental, if Razor wasn't the intercontinental, uh, Sean was the intercontinental, and then Kevin was the world, and Sean was the world, and uh, 
I just felt like uh, there were five guys who were controlling uh, basically Vince, kind of, sort of. And um, well, and they uh, also, though, but also to their credit, I mean, they were uh, the top draws in the in the WWE. And they yeah, Sean for sure. Like, uh, around, you know? yeah. yeah, no question. But as at the same time, what you're saying is, you know, they they had the power <laughs> and they used yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, after that, uh, I didn't do the job in Montreal. The next morning, they called me. I was when I was going to sleep home because we were in Montreal. They called me home. Uh, they said, uh, you know, everything's okay. Uh, they fined me. Actually, I didn't get paid for Montreal. I had a big fine. Mm-hmm. So uh, my payoff was zero. Uh, so I went to uh, Quebec City the next day. Uh, he said, apologize to Kevin, just say, you know, it was just a mistake and everything, and just have a good match. So I did all that, and they probably spoke to him because he was polite too. So everything was going well mm-hmm. until I hit the leg drop from the top rope, and I potato him on the face with my heel. So he thought I did it on purpose. So yeah, kind of a big uh, fight in the ring. I was going to say it got a little stiff in the ring. Yeah, I got all stiff towards <laughs> the end. And, uh, yeah. Whoa. And then I, then I took the finish because uh, if I was not going to scrap another finish, then I thought that I was going to be done for real, you know. So yeah. I took the, the power bomb and um, the jackknife. So I took it and... Uh, then we went into a, a fight in the back, but everybody separated us, so we didn't really have a fight. It was more like a pull apart. Yeah. And um, what really uh, made the click really angry was the fact that after that night, we went on a European tour, and I was uh, against Aldo Montoya, just incredible, uh, PJ Polacco. Mm-hmm. I was working him every night, and I was going over every night. And um, when we came back in America, it was um, it was a house show in uh, Oklahoma City, I think. Mm-hmm. And I saw Vince, so they all called him. It was a big meeting, a big threat meeting. Like we're all gonna leave if something doesn't change. Wow. So. Um, I was surprised to see Vince on a house show with 2,000 people in the house show because mm-hmm. he never goes to house shows. And uh, so they, they wanted to get rid of a, a bunch of guys, like um, I think the garbage man. Um, anyway, they came up. I read Sean's book. That's how I knew that because he says all the name in the book. And my name came up and uh, that I read in Sean's book. And uh, Sean says, don't worry about Carl Wallet. I'm going to handle Carl Wallet myself. So uh, basically he was protecting myself from uh, from Sean's book. That's what he said. So, uh, But after that meeting, uh, he was protecting myself, but I was doing jobs every night. A little bit like uh, Triple H after the curtain call, you know. Uh, he was not supposed yeah, to. Yeah, that was a long time that he was in the. Yeah, yeah, but he did a year straight yeah. almost of right. job. He did a 12-seconds job for uh, Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania too, yeah. on Warrior's return. 
but he stayed there and he did his time and then eventually he regained confidence you know uh, the company regained confidence in him, in him and felt like he had paid the price for what he had done but uh, it was the same thing for myself I was doing jobs for everybody every night after that and it was just getting tough on me so uh, eventually I I got a little injury and I told them that uh, I was injured and I couldn't wrestle, so uh, I didn't need to uh, get that surgery, but I went on and get the surgery, and after the surgery, uh, called me up if I wanted to come back, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to let roll my contract and uh, just do something else after, go somewhere else. Mm. So I basically quit, basically quit there. And uh, Well, did you just feel that you, you, you when you went back there, you're, it was just going to be stacked against you, uh, that you weren't going to get, you know, pushed? Or were you just tired of the company? What Where were you at that point? No, but I felt as long as uh, the click was going to be there, it was not going to be any room for me or any sort of, sort of push for myself uh, huh. because of what happened. So... Um, but I didn't think at that time, and it was tough for me because I was on every pay-per-view, I was on every event, I was on, mm. was always booked, you know, and always making money. And after yeah. uh, the big meeting where I was, you know, kind of jobbing after that, they pulled me out of every pay-per-view. So mm. it was hard to watch pay-per-views from the stands or from the locker room. Um, it was getting really tough, so that's why I decided to quit because I didn't see, I couldn't see the the light at the end of the tunnel after that because the the, the click was pretty strong still, but I didn't know. In the meantime, that they were still strong, uh, they were complaining about their money or about other things, and they were about to switch to WCW. And if right. I would have stayed again. there, <laughs> eventually, yeah, eventually, timing. I went to WCW and then the NWO thing just started, you know, oh, so boy. it was boom, you know, wrong, <laughs> wrong timing again. Yeah. So uh, I made my switch, but by the time uh, I let, you know, some time go off my contract, maybe four, maybe I had eight months left on my contract before I could mm -hmm. start back. NWO was just starting, boom. And I felt, gee, I should have stayed there. You know, now Razor's gone and Kevin's gone. Yeah. It's always Sean, Sean and Paul. So it, it would have been different. Yeah. But, you know, it was like that. So uh, it was just, uh, then from there, it's it's been tough. You know, two times WCW where uh, both times, you know, I felt, I felt like I got cut off by Kevin, especially the second time when we did Team Canada with Lance Storm, me and Jock. And uh, the, the thing was having big heat and everything, and uh, we just we did a bunch of things. And then as soon as Kevin saw me, uh, they pulled that belt out of me uh, the next day and uh, because Vince Russo liked me. Yeah. Have you guys ever ever fixed that, or is it still? Yeah, 2009, he came to Montreal, put me over, Kevin Nash, for an yeah. indie, uh, for IWS. And then uh, he was really, really, uh, you know, he was really into it, like uh, really friendly, uh, went out a little bit, and, you know, had a couple of beers and uh, spoke a lot. Yeah. And... Uh, he said, I was never the greatest wrestler, but I was a great politician. That's what yeah. I learned. 
that's another great lesson I learned by talking to him. He, he taught me a lot of things, though. And, and one night, you know, and just talking with him and everything, taught me a lot. And uh, we we did exchange a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it felt good. It felt good to uh, kind of bury the hatchet there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, same thing with Sean. In yeah, I was going to say, how about with Sean? Same thing, you know. I was supposed to uh, to give my scenario to John Laurinaitis, but uh, something happened in the U.S., so he couldn't make it uh, to Birmingham, England. So I said, uh, I went up to Sean. I said, Sean, I was supposed to give this to John, but John's not there. Can I trust you and give you that? And can you give it to the creative? He said, I'll make sure it goes to the right place. And mm-hmm. he did because they really called me for that scenario. Yeah. Which I told you what happened after that in 2008, uh, San Arena or 2009. Right. But uh, Sean uh, he respected his words and uh, it was always nice to me. At one time, even at one time, another show in England, uh, saw Sean, talked to him and everything, and uh, asked him for uh, if I could uh, work at night. I said, Can you talk to Vince? We could have a match tonight. I'm here in England and blah, blah, blah. So uh, Vince saw me said, hey, do you want to work tonight? I want to put you with Tommy Dreamer. I said, oh, huh. cool. I told Sean, hey, Sean, I got a match. He said, of course. I just told him. <laughs> so <laughs> I felt, so I felt, I really felt with Sean, like I've got nothing, you know, like everything's sorted out. Like uh, yeah. there's no heat. There's nothing. There's no heat with, with uh, Kevin anymore. Even now, like, uh, uh, for a while, he was doing some shoot interviews, and he was really going at it with me. And now he kind of changes uh, his version a little bit. It's a smooth version. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's funny how time changes things. And and uh, you knew Sean early in those you know early '90s, and and uh, and I, I I I'm sure he'll credit it with his faith now. But he absolutely became a different person when he came back, and. Uh, you know, and you know, time changes a lot, especially when you get older and you realize that things that affected you so much, you know, back at that time are not weren't really weren't that big of a deal. But at the time, it certainly no. seemed that, right? Yeah, it does that for people. For some people, do change, but I feel like some people don't. Like I, well, I see some guys, uh, older guys from the '80s in the business, they're still bitter about people. Oh, they're still yeah. bitter about something in the business. They still yeah. ate a lot of people in the business. And, uh, for instance, just a honky tonk, you know, like, uh, one time I was, uh, in the same car with him and he was, wow, what a trip. It was like, uh, he was mad at uh, a lot of things about the business, you know? Yeah. So, it's too bad. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, bad for the, bad for himself because when you feel like that, how can you have like, you know, positive energy with you? How can you feel yeah. good if you're eight? Everybody around you, if you ate the world, if you ate this, if you ate everything, you know, like nothing can, nothing good can come out of that. So I feel that there's people that are learning from their mistakes, they're learning from, you know, they're getting wisdom out of life or something, you know, they're, they're, they're still fighting for something, they still believe in something, they're still having goals, and that's what drives them and things like that. And that's how I feel, you know, me, I'm yeah. still having, I'm having my, uh, my goal and, I'm pursuing my goal, and that gives me like so much energy, so much passion. You know, mm-hmm. like 
that's what I was, uh, I was explaining. Everybody's saying like my match with Walter is one of my top five match, which yeah. happened in New Orleans at WrestleMania weekend, uh-huh. uh, the Joey Janela Spring Break uh, two. But the thing is, now I can go out and wrestle. I can do like a moonsault. I can do my uh, four twenty. You know, I can do a bunch of things that I was not capable of doing back then. And uh, you know, uh, uh, in the last ten years, I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Karate, Kyokushin, so I can strike. I can, you know, submit. You know, there's a bunch of things that I've added to my game. But huh. the main thing is when I go in the ring, people can see all uh, the adversity that I face and all the failure that I've been through that mm-hmm. put me there. It's like. I, I can have those feelings going throughout my skins and having the crowd feeling my my desire to to overcome anything in life, you know, the fire in my eyes, the 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 willing to the willingness to 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 do everything that I can do to to perform at the highest level and things like that. People are yeah. feeling that now, which yeah. I was not capable of showing that putting that emotion or showing that feeling, showing those feelings at age uh, 30 or 32, 35. Now I can do that. And then that's, that's, uh, I think that's one of the difference. Like uh, it really makes a huge uh, impact. The fact that I can show not as bitterness, but as uh, more, it comes out more as a warrior, as a fighter. Yeah. More than yeah. No, it's a, it's a great uh, lesson. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's all positive. There's nothing negative there yeah. that comes out of me. It's all positive, but it's uh, the desire to win, I guess, is stronger than anything else. And people can see my desire to win, not to win the match, but to win my goal. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> been one uh, one hell of a, a journey, and I don't know if you have uh, things you would have liked to change, uh, change, but but really you look back in, in all of the uh, experiences that you've had. And, and it seems like you're just as passionate as you were when you were that kid, you know, uh, on that bus to Edmonton and, 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 uh, <laughs> still have it. I mean, and the fact that you, you're able to do it, uh, what's your relationship with the WWE? Like now I could imagine you coming back and helping them in other ways. Uh, no, I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't want to be an agent or, or help other ways. Uh, the only way that I can help is, is as a wrestler, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go as far as I can go with this run. It's been yeah. a hell of a run, 2017, 2018. I mean, I'm booked until December uh, <laughs> everywhere in the United. How many States. dates are you doing a year? I mean, are you are you working? I basically do like uh, an average of two to three uh, days. Per week, uh, really? It's, it's, I know, I it's think either Friday, Saturday, or what? Yeah, it's either Friday, Saturday, or Saturday, Sunday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's like, it's like in June, I'm gonna do a tournament in um, in Virginia, eighth and ninth of June, uh, and the Sunday I'm gonna work in Toronto for the Manluch. May 11th, I'm in Portland, Oregon. May 12th, I'm in Brockville, Ontario. Uh, I don't have my agenda with me, but uh, every weekend I'm booked. Well, and and, Uh, uh, you must just love doing it, because I think I've heard you you talk about uh, that 
financially you're okay and that uh, i hope you learned to let the money work for you yeah uh, that's it that's what i did you know <laughs> i i bought i bought some houses some land and uh i rented all my places so and so you just uh, do it because you yeah. love it still <laughs> yeah yeah i don't need it because i need to sell five t-shirts ten photos and uh get a a cheap uh pay you know payday because I wouldn't do it, you know. Uh, the yeah. only reason why I do it is because I'm passionate about it, you know. It's yeah. because uh, there's something more, something else I want. I want to bring it to another level. Uh, right now, I've been saying that, you know, my goal for now is going to Bola, Battle of Los Angeles, you know, for uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla, P- PWG, which yeah. I think is the greatest event for any indie in the world. So right now I'm focusing on that. So I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I'm really working on that, you know, by working on that. I'm really promoting that and, uh, you know, trying to get some feedback out of, uh, out of that. And uh, How about moving it forward, you know? Carl? How about moving it forward, though? I mean, do you help, uh, you try and help these, these kids coming up, especially when you see somebody who's in an indie who's, uh, you know, is working their ass off. Do you... Uh, well, what they say, you know, like when I when I do have a match sometime in Chicago, Cleveland, anywhere I go, yeah. uh, some of the guys they come, hey man, can you watch my match? Tell me what I can, you know, what do you think of my match and things right. like that. So I, yeah. I can come in with a few pointers there, but I don't like, I don't want to discourage them, and I don't, I don't want to uh, because you know it's just the first time that I see them. But when I see something really good, I tell them, or if I see something really bad, I tell them what they should work on. Right. But uh, I don't, I don't try to to be too elaborated on uh, on what you know what they have to do and not to do. And I keep it pretty basic because I think they they have to worry on the mechanics more than they have to worry on on their character. As far as for me watching them for one night, you know, uh, it's not like I'm following them everywhere. So uh, if you know they hit someone and there's really a, a bad hit or something that looks really bad i'm going to tell them to work on that but if i if the guys tell me uh, well you know i was a baby face tonight but it was hard to get the crowd and i say listen man it's your first night here you know your mechanic was perfect your drop kicks your everything that you hit was good yeah. you know the story the match was good don't worry about that you know eventually when you'll be here five or six times they'll know you're a baby face so you know, I'm I'm giving them the, like uh, the best advice that I can, and the, the some advice that I, I wish that I could receive when I was younger. So that's the kind of advice I'm giving them. Yeah. But uh, I love to help. I love to give advice. I love to give back. Uh, it's just that uh, um, I wouldn't see myself working for for, for WWE. Uh, you know, as a power. Uh, performance center yeah. or uh, the, uh, or being an agent or something like that right. that's, that's that's not fun i like to be creative but i like to create for myself all <laughs> so right i'm doing those uh i'm doing like uh those videos like uh, with uh the destroyer with the uh, destro and um they're amazing i mean i put them on my twitter and uh yeah, I was gonna say, when can where can people catch this stuff? Uh, is it on YouTube as well, or? Yeah, yeah, I, they, they're on YouTube, but mostly. You have a I, channel. I use Twitter. Uh, yeah, I have uh, two channels, but uh, okay. it's uh, it's uh, PC Wallet, Pierre Carl Wallet, my channel, Pierre right. Carl Wallet, 
of the, the just type PCO wrestling, something like that is going to pop up. Uh, but um, on on uh, Twitter uh, at uh, PCO Quebecer, uh, you can see all the videos there. Uh, there's one where I stand on a, a board of nails, spike nails, and I curl some weights, and uh, I'm getting choked by my coach. Uh, and I gotta check that one out. One where I, there's another one where I, I roll a fried pan. I've been. And my coach is chopping me. He's giving me chops with the fried pan on the chest. And then I block him and I roll the fried pan. And uh, there's another one uh, where uh, we're playing cards. Then he goes, okay, cut the deck. So I, p- I pick up the deck of cards and I cut it in half. I tore it. Uh, I ripped wow. it apart. All right. So, that, so what's that Twitter address again? It's at PCO? At PCO Quebecer. At PCO Quebecer. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's getting crazy. Uh, I'm getting uh, more people all the time, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, every time that those videos are coming out, the, in two three days, they hit like ten thousand views easily. Well, you're gonna get a few more because I know people listening are gonna be checking it out. So, uh, oh, really, cool. Carl, this has been an, an awesome conversation. I hope we can do it again sometime. I hope I run into you somewhere down the road because uh, uh, I'd love to meet you in person. But uh, really. Uh, it's. I know yeah. it, we did meet, but it's been a long time. But I'd love to run into you again. But thank you so much for taking time out and coming on primetime. Thank you, uh, Sean, for uh, having me on your show. You know, it's been uh, it's been a great uh, conversation. Like you said, a lot of fun for me. I hope I can inspire a lot of people. You know, with my story. And uh, the, the only thing that I that I can tell the people, it's like. When I will have accomplished my goal, uh, I hope that you will be uh, there to ask me to be on your show again. <laughs> got it. <laughs> because you got now, it. you know, we, we will be able to say, you know, he did it, you know, so that'll be cool. So thank you very much for having me on your show. And I tell everybody, you know, from PCO, you know, uh, thank you very much for the support in the States. It's been incredible like everywhere i go new orleans chicago cleveland port everywhere i go people are chanting pco 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 thank you for having me on your show it's been a blast it's been a lot of fun and uh, like i said hopefully you know everybody that's got like little you know adversity in their life i can be an inspiration because there's a lot of people that are inspiration to me uh, people fighting a lot of things so it's been totally cool. Thanks a lot. All right. Another great conversation here on PTSM. That one with Carl Willette. What an interesting individual. And you look at the road that that guy traveled. It's just unbelievable. A thousand other people would have quit uh, after what he went through and uh, what the Hart uh, family put him through. And he just, that guy just never gave up. And that was the story of his career because he faced a lot of uh, ups and downs along the way, and uh, he just refused to go away. And he it brought him a great deal of success, and uh, he's still at it. Can you believe this guy is in his fifties now? And uh, you should check out these videos he's doing. He's in uh, fantastic shape, and he does all of these uh, you know stunts on these videos. You can find them on YouTube. But he's also doing indie shows and doing flips off ropes still, and he's he says he's in the best shape of his life. And uh, you know, I believe the guy. You you see him on these videos, uh, he still looks just massive, and he's still at it. So 
Uh, I really want to thank Carl Willett for coming on and, and be sure to check him out on Twitter. And as I mentioned, uh, look at those videos he's got out uh, on YouTube. Uh, we reached our first milestone on our YouTube channel. Uh, speaking of YouTube, uh, we reached 500 subscribers, which resulted in the release of our bonus episode with B. Brian Blair. Uh, it was one of our premium episodes, but we've uh, saved it and uh, decided to, you know, instead of releasing it on the uh, the other side, on iTunes and the other platforms, we've uh, just released that exclusively to YouTube. And you really need to check this episode out. Uh, so many tremendous stories, uh, you know, a couple of them uh, right off the bat thinking of and when he was almost shot by Leroy McGurk. Yeah, I mean, bullets were flying. And then uh, the, one of the other stories that comes to mind is when they were uh, on a road trip with uh, Paul Orndorff and Tony Atlas, and uh, Tony and Paul get into an argument, and they end up pulling over and going at it, and Orndorff bites a piece of Atlas's ear off. I'm not kidding. So th that's just some of the <laughs> insane conversation we had. And it, it, was, uh, it was great. So check out the B. Brian Blair episode on um, YouTube, on our YouTube channel, a prime time with Sean Mooney, and we're going to keep it going. Now, when we get to a uh, thousand subscribers, so if you haven't subscribed, please go to YouTube, prime time with Sean Mooney, and subscribe. We're going to release another episode uh, coming up, and uh, you know when you go there, there's already a, a ton of material up there. I think we've got uh, about fifty items up already. So check it out and subscribe. When we get to a thousand uh, subscribers, we're going to release another exclusive episode just on YouTube. Also, uh, new T-shirts. We've got new T-shirts designs that are going to be out any day now. Uh, besides the uh, fantastic and uh, well, I shouldn't say well-worn, but uh, Sean Mooney Who T-shirts, <laughs> and uh, we've got uh, some new ones up there. One is uh, it, it's I, I love these shirts. Uh, it's uh, Moon Nation, right? But they've got uh, various countries represented. So of course we've got the U.S. in there, but we've also got the U.K. And uh, choices for down under, and I really love the design on that one, and uh, a couple of others you're going to love. Uh, one for the golden era, and I love what we've done with that one. So those are going to be out any day now. So you can uh, make that connection just by going to primetimemooney.com and uh, click the link for tease, and it'll take you right there. Also, if you or anyone you know is interested in advertising on Primetime with Sean Mooney, we'd love to have you. The podcast uh, reaches thousands of very, very loyal listeners out there. And we'd love to have you on board with us. If you'd like to get more information on that, please contact us at primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's primetimemooney at gmail.com. And uh, if you're interested in advertising on the podcast, uh, and it just keeps getting better here on primetime with Sean Mooney next week, uh, we're going to have as a guest one of the most uh, interesting, that that word doesn't even cover it. Uh, he is one of the most compelling, deep, uh, complicated, uh, intelligent, entertaining guests. Uh, we've had a, a join us here on PTSM, uh, Scott Levy, better known as Raven. Um, uh, one time was known as Scotty the Body, and I've got a great story to tell you quickly on that because it, it just turned into this uh, awesome episode with him. But... Uh, I didn't realize it until that morning when we were getting ready to record this this podcast with him a long time ago. And, and maybe you know that, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, but a long time ago, I did a show when I was with Major League Baseball Productions called Light Moments in Sports. And Joe Namath, Joe, Joe Namath uh, the famous football player, was the host of it. 
And uh, I was a correspondent on that show. I would go out and do all these crazy stories. And I rode camels. I jumped out of airplanes. I went to paintball camps and got the hell shot out of me, you know. But one of the stories I did is I went to the um, Monster Factory in New Jersey. Pretty Boy Larry Sharp ran that uh, training camp there. And I went there and did this story, you know, of the idiot reporter who goes there and gets the crap beat out of him by, you know, trying to become a professional wrestler. Well, it turns out, and I remembered this morning, I remembered, I kept in my head that one of the people that I interviewed for this story was a guy named Scotty the Body. And I, it just stayed with me. I don't know. And all of a sudden it popped in my head and I'm going, wait a minute. I, th- I think that was, that was Raven. I, he looked like he was a much younger version. Well, it turns out when we got on and, and even before we recorded, cause you know, I don't like to do any prep with everybody. I just say, let's just roll. And we see what happens. And I said, but I have, a, you know, an interesting uh, story to tell you. I hope that you make the connection. And uh, it turns out that uh, Scott remembered that. He said, yeah, I remember they, they came, you know, it took him a while to, to, to remember it. But he did. And I, at that point, my producer, Casey Drumbeck, uh, was listening. And I think at the same time when we're doing the record, he finds that clip. And when we get off the uh, recording this, he tells me, I found the clip. And uh, he sent me the link to it. And I looked. I hadn't seen it in years and years and years. And sure enough, it was Scotty. And <laughs> just it just shows you all these strange connections because that was before I went to the WWF. And that is the same. When you look at this thing, it that is the piece that the WWF saw and that's how I got that audition that even got this whole thing started. And then to think back that Scott Levy was this young kid trying to get into the business and did this interview with me, who would have thought my first interview with a professional wrestler would be Scott Levy. So that made a, uh, you know, a connection right away between us. And it turned out to be a really fun conversation, but you could check that, um, that clip out. Uh, that piece and and uh, see a very uh, young and skinny and scrappy Mooney uh, get the crap uh, beat out of him, the shit beat out of him by Larry Sharp. <laughs> I take some pretty serious bumps in this thing, and also a very young Scott Levy, and we do a little a little bit together. But you can check that out on our YouTube channel. Go to uh, Prime Time with Sean Mooney. And uh, like I said, subscribe, but check, check it out. It is, it's, it's a lot of fun watching and just, uh, you know, we, what a small world, but I really, really enjoyed that. And uh, that you're going to love that episode. That's coming up next week with Scott Levy, better known as Raven. Uh, once again, I want to thank our sponsor seat geek. Uh, don't miss that next great live event. And you can make it happen with seat geek. And because you are one of my loyal listeners, uh, Prime time with Sean Mooney. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and then enter the promo code PRIMETIME. That's promo code PRIMETIME. And guess what? You're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So what are you waiting for? Right after you get done listening to this fantastic podcast, download the SeatGeek app today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of PTSM. I'm Sean Mooney. And I'm out. The world of MLW Radio never stops. 
Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related health care to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In Campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G.